Good morning again, my friends. My name is Kay Eck, and I am one of the pastors here at Lover's Lane. I'm honored to be with you this morning as our senior pastor, Dr. Stan Copeland, is out of town this morning with his family. But today, we are continuing in a sermon series that we have titled Unnamed, where we're diving into these stories of women whose names were not written down in the Bible. We know that God knows their names, and I believe that some of these women even went on to change the course of history. As we were working on this sermon series, we have this shared document that all of our staff can look at as we're preparing, and one staff member said, so what's the name of the unnamed series? We're like, no, the name is unnamed. It's not an unnamed series, it's unnamed. It's about these women who don't have a name. (laughs) It could be confusing. But what I love about this sermon series is that it makes me think of all of those people who have impacted my life in some way, and I don't even know their names. I wonder, is there anyone in your life who has made a significant impact on you, but you didn't even know their name? It might be someone who did a random act of kindness for you, or a teacher who impacted you but you can't really remember their name, or or maybe someone who has saved you in some type of way and you don't know their name. I I bet you can think of someone. My daughter, Ellie, she's about to turn two in July, and about a year ago, I was in the parking lot at Walmart. I had put all my stuff away, then I was getting her into the car seat, and, you know, getting babies into a car seat can take a a hot minute. I mean, it's a a whole process. Um, But this woman, she walked up to me, like my back was turned. She kind of came up to me. It kind of startled me a bit, and she said, can I give a present to your daughter? And, you know, my radar went up, and I was thinking, what in the world does this woman want? Honestly, I thought she was a Jehovah's Witness who was going to give me a pamphlet about raising kids or something. I I had no idea. So I said something like, "Um, well, what is it? She said, well, let me get it. Let me get it. And she went to the trunk of her car, and she pulled out this huge box. It was like this big. And I'm thinking, how am I going to be able to say no to this? Like, what in the world could this possibly be? And then she said, I noticed that your daughter there... And I bought this for my granddaughter, but she's a little bit older than your daughter, and she's really too big for it, so I'd really like for your daughter to have it. I was going to return it to Walmart, but I would like for your daughter to have it instead. And she showed me this box, and inside is this little Minnie Mouse car. It had all these bells and whistles that Ellie, of course, would love, and I I accepted and, and thanked her profusely just really blown away by the kindness of this woman. I mean, she could have gone into Walmart and returned this toy, which was expensive. I mean, it was like an $80 thing. She could have gone and done that, but she chose to be generous instead. She gave what she had, and then she asked me Ellie's name, and I told her, she said, I'm going to pray for your Ellie. And it was this beautiful encounter with someone who not only gifted us with something, but who also said a prayer for my girl, And I have no idea what her name is. But as soon as we got this gift home, of course, Ellie was so happy. She's in heaven playing on her little car. And and I think about the generosity and the kindness of this woman so often. Is there someone in your life who has impacted you, but you don't even know their name? The story that we've heard in Scripture this morning, found in 1 Kings, it tells us of this widowed mother who is also kind and generous even in the face of impending disaster for herself and for her family. We don't know her name, but her actions have a lot to teach us today. 
We find the story at the very beginning of the story of the prophet Elijah. That's Elijah with a J. You might have heard of Elisha and Elijah. Today we're talking about Elijah. And I want to wrap some context around the story of this widow and then talk about what this means for us. So during this time, what we know of as Israel was divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom, they had just experienced 19 consecutive horrible, crazy, evil, disastrous kings who ruled over them over the span of about 200 years. You know, we don't really, as Americans, we don't really know what that's like. We have a president for four, eight years max, but this these, these people who were living in the northern kingdom, they just had horrible, horrible leadership for over 200 years. These leaders were not just ineffective, but they were worse than you can imagine. They encouraged sin against the one true God, and there's this cycle that we read about that was just this really dark time in Israel's history. And this is the time in which Elijah lives. In fact, there's a king named Ahab at this time who married a woman who is considered to be wicked, and her name was Jezebel. You might have heard of Jezebel. The reign of Ahab and Jezebel, it was considered even worse than all of the other 19 kings before them. And Scripture actually says in the chapter right before the one that Tom read for us in 16, it says, Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than all of the kings of Israel who were before him. Wow. Ahab builds a temple to Baal, or sometimes we say Baal, a Canaanite fertility god. He builds a pole to this mother goddess called Asherah. You might have heard of an Asherah pole. He encouraged idolatry and the worship of statues. He actively tried to turn people's hearts away from the one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we find that people would turn to these false gods and they would worship by engaging in sexual practices and orgies with prostitutes inside of the temple. It's even said that people would sacrifice their children to these false gods. So this is a time of of dark, deep corruption in Israel. This is a time of major scandals and tremendous idol worship. And finally, finally God says, enough is enough. Enough is enough. And this is where Elijah comes into the picture. God is going to use Elijah to change the wicked ways of the country. And what I think is so cool here as we're kind of setting the context is that God didn't raise up a whole army to fight against King Ahab. He didn't bring thousands of people to make a difference. God just raised up one person. He said, Elijah, I'm going to use you, one person. And God often does this, right? God will raise up one person to take a stand, maybe one high school girl who will stand up for, for somebody who's being bullied. Maybe it's one leader who will stand up for integrity of a business that's lacking integrity. Or maybe one church leader who will stand up and say, no, we're loving all here. It often doesn't take an army, but in this case, it just takes one person who says yes and, and then one more person who says yes. And I think that God does that often. It just takes one person. But I want us to go back and look at the beginning of of the verses that Tom read, starting in in verse 1. And I used to teach history. I love maps. So I want to share a map with you, too, because to me, this just helps set the whole context. So it says this, Now Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead, 
said to Ahab, that's the crazy, crazy king. He just goes directly to Ahab and he says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah and he said, leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Cherith Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook as I have directed, and the ravens will supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. So I want you to see just a little map of where this is. If we're able to pull that up on the screen, you see there's the, the Kareth Ravine. You can see where Tishbe is and its location then to Samaria, which Jerusalem is just on the other side to the left of Samaria. So Elijah, he goes directly to evil King Ahab, probably at the risk of his life. And he says, hey, get ready for famine. There's no rain coming. There won't be any dew. There won't even be any dew. There's no rain. And Elijah knows that this is going to affect him too. He's going to, to be affected by this. But God says, I'm going to tell you where to go to be provided for, and that's the Kareth Ravine. And you can drink from the brook, and the ravens are going to bring you meat every morning and every night. I don't know about you, but I wish I could order some birds to drop off some food for my family because I am really not good at cooking. Wouldn't that be nice if they could just drop it right there on your doorstep and you can go, go your way? But what is incredible to me is that Elijah, he hears from God, and then he does what God says. And we read that God provided for him all along the way. Elijah is obedient to trust God, and God provides. But in fact, Elijah was taken to this place where he had to be dependent on God. The Kareth Ravine, just the name of it would have alerted Elijah um, to what was coming because charis in Hebrew means to cut off or to cut down. It means to cut off from the source or literally like to cut down like you would chop down a tree. So perhaps this time of isolation for Elijah, this cut-offness was used by God to prepare him to continue to impact people, to continue to help people know the one true God. Sometimes God uses our times of cut-offness as preparation too. But ultimately, this creek runs dry, and God speaks to Elijah again, and he says, go to Zarephath in Sidon. This is over 100 miles away. We have another map for you. Um, this is helpful to me to see. He made this trek up north and over to the west to Zarephath, which is not even in Israel. It's part of the country of Sidon. But this place was also experiencing this drought, and this is where he comes across our unnamed woman. And it's this unnamed woman that I want us to think about from here on out. So Sidon is experiencing this drought too, and here, come this, here comes this random man from a faraway place, and God says, I'm going to provide for you through a widow. Did God tell the widow that? Maybe. We don't totally know. But Elijah comes up to her and is like, hi, ma'am, I'm really thirsty. Could you give me some water and, and a, a drink and maybe a snack too? I'm pretty hungry too. And I can just imagine her saying to him, dude, there's a drought. 
we don't have water. I mean, are you the only person who doesn't realize that a drought is going on? It hasn't rained in ages. We have no water. We have no food. I am here picking up sticks so I can make one last meal for my son, and then we're just going to go and die. That is what's happening with this lady. She sounds like a mama to me. She wants her son to have one last meal to be taken care of. She's been feeding her son and caring for him in the midst of these terrible circumstances, and she knows the end is near, and and she says, we just aren't going to make it through this. Maybe some of you have been in a similar situation where, where things have just felt completely hopeless. Many of us, especially during the season of COVID, we have experienced a cut-offness much like Elijah in the Kareth Ravine. We have felt isolated and alone. And this woman, she's in a similar spot. But we see that God still provides and that God's word through the prophet Elijah is true. Elijah looks at her and says, no, ma'am, you're going to be okay. He looks at this impossible situation, and, and there's only a handful of flour left. You should have received a handful of flour when you came in. This is all that was left, and he speaks faith into it. He says, go home and make me some biscuits. I think Chick-fil-A got it right, and biscuits are holy. That says it right there in the Bible, right? He says, no, there's going to be enough for your family, and there's going to be enough for me. And he says this to her, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, the jar of flour will not be used up. The jug of oil will not run dry. And the very next verse tells us that she went away, and she did what was asked of her. She just did it. Can you imagine the kind of faith this woman had to have in order to give up her last handful of flour. She had to make a decision to trust that what the Lord said was true, and she did, and her family experienced this miraculous event. The jar of flour and the bottle of oil didn't run dry. It reminds me of a little boy whose name we also don't know. It's found in the Gospels when Jesus is asked by his disciples, how on earth are we going to feed all of these people who are gathered here? There's thousands of them. We don't have any food. And this little boy that we don't know his name, he comes forward and he offers five little loaves of bread and two little fishies. Essentially, he handed Jesus his handful of flour. And Jesus took this offering and he went on to use it as a blessing to provide food for over 5,000 with leftovers. Even a little, even a handful of flour can be used by God to do great things. The same is true of this widow who offered her last handful for Elijah. She has virtually nothing, and Elijah asked of her, and she gave. God could have sent Elijah to anyone, right? He could have sent Elijah to the person who had the most resources. He could have sent more birds to provide for him. He could have sent manna from heaven. But God chose this woman who was essentially destitute, a widow with no resources. And she says, I'm going to give you my last handful, trusting that God would be with her. She wasn't guaranteed that the flour and the oil wouldn't run dry, but she trusted God. She recognized that Elijah was a prophet, a man of God, and that she could trust God's words through him. 
And like we see throughout Scripture, God shows up and God shows God's self for who God is. God loved this widow so very much, even if she only had a last handful of flour left. And God said, trust me, trust me with that last handful. And she did. And God proved God's self to be faithful. Was Elijah asking too much of her? Maybe. Maybe it seems that way. But when I think about the stories in Scripture in which God asks people to give, it almost always seems to be too big of an ask. God calls Gideon. He says, go, take on an enemy. While Gideon is hiding from these enemies, and Gideon says, I can't do that. I'm the least in my tribe and the least in my father's house. God, why would you call me? I can't do that. Moses was in a similar position. God called him, and Moses said, no, 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 not me. I'm slow of speech and tongue. I I only have a handful to give. And God says, well, I'm going to take your handful. I can use you. Or think about the woman who Jesus encountered at the well. She had had five husbands, and she says, I don't have anything left to give, nothing. I only have this handful of flour. And Jesus blessed her and forgave her, and she went on to be one of the first evangelists to witness to who Jesus was. Some of us, myself included at times, feel like God is asking too much of us. Volunteer with kids' ministry? Nope, I'm not qualified. I'll hold on to my flower. Thank you. Forgive someone? Yeah, that's a hard pass. I'm holding on. Give generously in the midst of an unsteady economy? Nope, I'm holding on. We could list example after example. We've all been in those places, right? But I wonder, I wonder how many of you came in the room this morning maybe feeling like you only have one bag of flour left. Maybe this year has left you feeling completely drained, maybe even hopeless. Maybe you're at your wit's end and you don't know where to turn to next. Maybe you have a decision to make and you're not sure you have enough in you to make it work. Maybe you've been asked to give something and you just don't know how to let go of it. Maybe you've been asked to give too much. Maybe you have an opportunity in front of you and you feel like you just don't have what it takes. What you have to bring to the table is just not enough. Maybe you've experienced a significant loss and feel like there's just nothing in your jar left to give right now. But I wonder if God was to say to you, let go of that thing that you're holding on to, that last handful of flour, could could we do it? Do we have enough faith to trust that God will be with us, that God will provide for us, that God will even surprise us when we offer that thing back to the Lord? I don't know about you, but sometimes I find that trusting God is really hard. Anybody else? It's hard because it means that I have to let go of power and control. I have to let go of these expected outcomes, and I have to let go of even my own desires sometimes. I have to make a decision to trust that God is indeed who God says he is. That God has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. That is what this widow did. She trusted God with everything she had. She had three mouths to feed, herself, her son, Elijah. And if you have boys in your house like I do, you know that they eat a lot. 
You know, one little biscuit is not going to go very far. But what I find interesting here is that the jar of flour and the jar of oil, it always had enough. It didn't have an abundance. It didn't have more than was needed. It was never overflowing, but it was never empty. We know that this period of judgment during the time of Elijah, it lasted about three and a half years. We don't know exactly how long Elijah took at the Kareth Ravine when he was fed by the ravens. We don't know how long it took him to go all the way over um, to Sidon where this widow was. But I would guess he spent a good part of those three and a half years with that widow. So every day, Elijah and this woman, they would reach in to the jar And there was another handful of flour, enough for the day. It was never full, but it was never empty. We pray this in the Lord's Prayer when we say, give us today our daily bread. We don't ask God to give us a supply for the whole next 10 years. We say, give us today, Lord, just what we need. There was never an abundance in those jars, but it never ran dry. And God's supply is so often like that. We always have what we need for today. We might not have an abundance of things, but we have what we need. And this is what God promised, that we would have enough because God in and of God's self is enough for us. So there's this British missionary to China in the late 1800s, and his name was Hudson Taylor. I have a picture of him. Reverend Taylor, he founded China Inland Mission, And he had a passion for evangelism, for sharing the gospel with those that he got to serve with and alongside of in China. And he's known as one of the most significant Europeans to visit China in the 19th century. And he's credited with helping over 18,000 people come to know faith in Christ. And in thinking about God's provision, Reverend Hudson Taylor said this. He said, our heavenly father is very experienced. He knows that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He sustained three million Jews in the desert for a period of 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. We do not expect that he would send three million people to China, but if he did, we would have ample ways to sustain them all. Depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack supply. How true it is. God provides enough for us even if all we are given is God and God's self. God is always with us, always for us, loves us with this abundance of grace and gives to us exactly what we need for the day. So today you came into the room and you were given a little baggie of flour and you probably thought, what in the world is this, right? But as I spent some time this morning preparing for this message, I kept thinking about what does a handful of flour feel like? So I want to encourage you just to to hold that baggie in your hand, or you can open the baggie and touch the flower if you want to, but can you imagine if this was all that was between you and death, and God saying, hand it over? That takes a lot of faith. As you hold on to that baggie, I I want to ask you to think about in any area in your life that you might have been holding on to really tightly? Is there any area in your life that you are afraid to entrust it to God? Is there anything that has a hold of you that you're having a hard time letting go of? If you're watching us at home, I encourage you to go 
pick up some flour, put some in a bowl, feel, feel what that handful looks like. Because there's power in things that are tangible, that we can touch and be reminded of our faith. And so this morning I want to invite you um, to this, just an experience using this flower. I want to invite you to respond. We've set up the station right here in the front. And I want to ask you to take your baggie of flour and to come up and identify just in your mind what it is that you want to give to God. Any area that you need to trust God in. It can be anything. It can be like, God, I want to give you this hurt. God, I want to give you this pain. God, I want to give you this isolation. God, I want to give you this sin. God, I want to give you my heart. God, I just want to give you this so I can have more of you. God, I want to give you, and then whatever it is, you fill in the blank. And I want to invite you to come forward and to open your baggie and just to dump it out into one of these receptacles here. Just as a tangible and physical expression of our trust in who God is, that God is indeed who God says God is, and that God will always provide for us exactly what we need. So we will, we'll hear a song, a beautiful anthem on the screen, and as you are ready, um, the other ushers will help you. If you'll come forward and dump out your bag, trusting that God will indeed hear you as you pray. <laughs>